chips won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Big Big Trouble Trouble in Little Little China. China. And as a bonus, it is our 70th show. Yeah. So... If you've listened since the beginning, we've stolen almost three days of your life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Take yourself back to 1986. Ooh. Uh, February 1st, Kung Fu the Movie, starring David Carradine and Brandon Lee, a made-for-TV film sequel to the Kung Fu TV series that was canceled in 1975, airs on CBS. I loved Kung Fu, man. That yeah. was just such a great show. Did you watch the, you watch the original show? I did, but in reruns. Right. I wasn't like, right. you know, five being like, yeah, but I did love the reruns because it was just, <laughs> again, 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 yeah, hero. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Going down to town. Yeah, yeah. Helping people solve wandering, crimes. Wandering through. With Kung Fu. Nomadic. Yeah, it's totally so up your alley. Such a great <laughs> show. Such a great show. I was surprised the show only ran for three seasons. I, it I was, thought it ran longer than that. It's a niche show, you know. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't. Yeah, kids, little boys loved watching kung fu movies, but they weren't mainstreamy, right. you know. Yeah, at that yeah. point, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, I think it did run a lot in syndication or oh, yeah. reruns and stuff. Well, that's so why like, they made a movie, right, In nineteen eighty six, because like of the, eleven years later, yeah, they don't bring <laughs> stuff back from the dead unless there's a profit. Which it wasn't even. There was like three more TV movies after that through the eighties and the yeah. early nineties, uh, and this was Brandon Lee's very first uh, role. Nice. Yeah, he played his uh, estranged son that he didn't know. He had the son, and I don't want to spoil it, but... I think I remember that he... fight. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a lot of fighting. He didn't want to fight, but he'd fight yeah. if he had yeah, to. of course, of course. Uh, April 27th, Captain Midnight interrupts the HBO satellite feed for four and a half minutes, complaining about the cost of HBO at the time, which was twelve ninety five a month. It really hasn't risen that much. No, honestly. You know, I mean, <laughs> considering honestly. inflation, it's like what? For the subscription service, it's like what, 18 or 19 or something? Not, uh, is it even that? I think it's fourteen ninety nine. Something like that. I, I pay for it. I don't know. I got to start paying attention <laughs> to my bills. But yeah, good for you, HB. I mean, maybe it was just super expensive back then and they were like, you know. Well, I mean, relatively sure, I guess. But it just added to your cable bill. Yeah. You know. I mean, they were the first ones to actually do that. And then everybody hey, else looked on the bandwagon. 12 bucks a month for a bunch of movies. It was a good bargain. I mean, it's 24 know? hours of movies every day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... Well, same six movies. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But you could watch them four times each. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, just park the kids twice. in front, and they'd watch like six R-rated movies before six. I, but you know, yeah. back then they wouldn't show R-rated movies before prime time. Right. Like right. they would keep it pretty clean during the day, to the bane of horny little children, little boys <laughs> that want to watch boobies. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think Showtime. Or one of them, maybe Cinemax. Skinamax. Cinemax, yeah. Didn't have HBO, such, a, such a policy. HBO, I, I only time I ever watched HBO growing up was on New Year's Eve when I went over and hung out with my friends. My parents would go to their friend's house for New Year's Eve. And they would do, I remember like Herman's Head or something. It's not Herman's Head. There was no, another was show, something show. like that. There's something, anyway. It was something I was not interested in, but before oh, midnight. The one with Brian Ben Ben? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Dream On? Yes, I think it was Dream On. Yeah. And I would always be watching it and be like, I don't understand this. This is dumb. But then, right before midnight, from 11 to midnight, they would play Fraggle Rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember just being so excited every oh, yeah. year of like, hey. Dream On yeah. was a good show. Yeah. Brian Ben Ben. It was. I wonder what I, happened to Brian Ben Ben. 
Um, Way back when, when. Hey. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But okay. yeah, HBO, man. Uh, a good bargain then. Yeah. And a yeah. better bargain now. Well, and this is also, Captain Midnight was very, very 80s, because you can't do that now. No. You can't break into a satellite feed. There was a lot of weird stuff going yeah. on like that. The, the whole weird Max Headroom guy yeah. who did that. Yeah, yeah. Creeps. Yeah. <laughs> May 1st, A Great Wall is released, a comedy drama written, directed, and starring Peter Wang. It was the first American film shot in communist China. Wow. It was actually remember. co-produced by them. I've never seen it, but I heard about it, I, and it, it got it re- really great reviews. If it was released, I saw it, because it, I saw it every was. movie that came out. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it did very well for Peter Wang. Uh, I'm not sure what he's done since then, but he, it, it was, people were saying, oh, it's a brand new thing with China and how it's going to open up uh, everything. And yeah, and that's where we are now with China and yeah. Marvel kowtowing to China all the time. Yeah, well, yeah. They, hey, money talks, baby. They have a billion people. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of money, uh, a lot of seats. It's, uh, lot of it's show seats. business, not show yeah. do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's true. Uh, July <laughs> July 2nd, Big Trouble in Little China is released in theaters. Uh, cricket, cricket, yeah, cricket. Much more cricket, with a whimper cricket. than a bang. <laughs> that's me doing crickets. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, so why did Big Trouble in Little China, which seemed like it would have been a box office smash in 1986, blending fantasy and martial arts with a likable up-and-coming action star and a proven indie director, struggle to barely make even half of its budget back? Because people are morons. <laughs> morons. I saw this in the move, in the theaters and loved it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see it till it was on TV. I think I saw this several times in the theater. By nice. The yeah. nice. Oh, I would if I had. I would have too. Yeah. I was already a huge fan of the combo of uh, Russell and <laughs> Carpenter, Curtin John. Yeah, yeah. from doing you know, Curtin John, Russell Curtin John. <laughs> Whether you want to go surnames <laughs> or proper names, but um, you know they had proven themselves with Escape from New York. With yeah. they did Elvis. They did other things. Yeah. The you first know. thing they worked on together, Elvis, and then uh, The Thing. and yeah. They did a string of stuff together. The Thing is what, my favorite horror movie of all time. Although The Thing, and eventually we'll do an episode about The Thing, but that was not terribly well-received either. No, because people yeah. are morons. <laughs> no, literally, th- these are, if you look at the movies that people, you know, these movies that slip through the cracks that end up becoming huge cult hits, they have a certain sensibility that's a little bit of ahead of its time. Yes. Agreed. You know, uh, strong women characters. You know, the the big macho male John Wayne character is a bumbling boob. Right. You know, it's right. like people aren't ready for change until they're ready for change. And right. great movies slip through the cracks and become cult hits because people are morons. <laughs> Yes, they grow into the movies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the first version of the screenplay was written by first-time screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Uh, Goldman had been inspired by a new wave of martial arts films that had... All sorts of weird action and special effects shot against this background of oriental mysticism and modern sensibilities. Oriental, though? Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Already problematic. It's very much of its time. Yeah. Uh, I, I started reading the Golden Child uh, adaptation, yeah. and they use the word Oriental a lot. Well, I don't think it was used pejorative. You know, I don't think it was like not negatively. Yeah, I think it was more just a term. Yeah, you know, but it was it was still not. Yeah, it was ignorant. But like yes, but, 100%, but yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone meant anything bad by it. No, it was just that casual racism that just permeated the entire time, where anybody that wasn't white was just. 
fair game for any sort of stereotype yeah. or you know making fun of, and everybody just accepted it as okay. Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo! Old times. Hey, I, I just found out total speed bump, but I just found out that paddy wagon apparently is a derogatory yeah, term. Yeah, for the Irish. I did not know that. Oh, stick it to the paddy wagon. I didn't. I had no idea. Yeah, I, that's where they throw all the drunken Irish bastards. A, a friend <laughs> of the potato eaters. A friend of Phoebe's from uh, Boston like heard it and just freaked out, and I was like, "What? What? Like I I never connected that." The I, Irish, the Irish. Experienced an insane amount of <laughs> yes, yes. discrimination, right? To and the point where even now it seems like it's just fine. Well, I, it's you know. you know it's it's just funny because it's like it, you know. Yes, we still talk about leprechauns and drunken Irish people, and it's just yeah, we make fun of them. You know, oh, the potato eating, you know, having yeah. tons of kids or whatever. But they did take a lot of flack, you know. I mean, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. For most sure. immigrants did, you know. Yeah, it's just yeah. like. But it was just crazy how much they hated the Irish Catholics. Yeah, I yeah, that's true. Anyway, I it was just one of those. I was I was firmly d- determined that it was not a racist term, and then yeah. I I looked it up and I was like, hey, look at that, I'm an idiot. The Irish Catholics they've they've gotten their revenge. <laughs> on the Supreme Court now yeah, well, and dictating yeah. everything we do. So <laughs> way to go. Maybe they were right to discriminate against them. No, 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 just kidding. No, 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 just a joke, please. Uh, Garrett Goldman would go on to write the script for the 1990 Schwarzenegger hit Total Recall. Total Recall. Yeah, which is which? Oh, such a great movie! It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great, absolutely of its time. It's like one of those perfect time capsules of the 80s. It's just like it. Oh yeah, you know, or early 90s was it? 1990. Yeah. So I mean, it was that bridge. So it's still everything that's like. yeah. One and two of the next decade is still, to me, <laughs> of the previous It's still, decade. yeah. The, the transitory period, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they had written uh, the script, the original script for Big Trouble in China. It was written originally as a Western set in the 1880s with Jack Burton as a cowboy who rides into town. Oh, man, I want this movie. I want it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think it sounds really fascinating. Uh, Goldman, and Wein- Goldman and Weinstein envisioned what amounts to a weird Western. Uh, they took inspiration from movies like Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia by Sam Peckinpah in 1974. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, that movie is incredible. If you want to see one of the greatest performances, Warren Oates uh, is the lead in that. And it's it's not like a Western in the West. Yeah, it's a neo-Western. Like, yeah. It is just this really cool movie about this guy going down to Mexico nah. to go get the head of Alfredo Gonzalez. <laughs> uh, no, but it's very complicated. It's really great, and it's got all that Peckinpah violence and that crazy yeah, Peckinpah yeah. blood that just looks fake enough to make his violence palatable. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic. But he's I love that is one of my favorite movies. My first uh, college roommate, uh, Mike Reese. Mm-hmm. He and I bonded over that movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. nice. I'll have to put it on my list. Uh, El Topo by Alejandro Jodorowsky in 1970. Another great one. Uh, another great movie, yes. Uh, the Valley of Guanji in 1969 with dinosaur, dinosaur effects done by Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Dinosaur effects done by Ray Harryhausen. Oh, man, that's a great one, too. That was one that would play on the creature feature. Yeah. I don't know what happened to my voice. But it combined... Two of my faves, dinosaurs right. and westerns, man. Uh, it was uh, Ray Harryhausen's least favorite movie he worked on. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, and Billy the Kid versus Dracula, 1966, starring John Carradine. Uh, that I did not see, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, maybe, because I watched a lot of Creature Features. They might have slipped it in 
I kind of assumed it would be on like Tubi or something, like one of those free streaming services. It was not. Uh, and I think part of it is because Carradine has gone on record stating it's the only film he regrets making. And that's insane because he made a, a, a string of horrible movies to uh, satisfy his, shall we say, horse habits. It was actually done as a double uh, feature with... Um, oh and he's man. the father of... David, David Carradine. Carradine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From there was another Western movie. It was some somebody versus the Wolfman or something, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah. Maybe White or versus the Wolfman Maybe. or Buffalo Bill or something. Anyway, they were just awful, awful yeah, movies. Those, you know, dinosaurs cool. Uh, the Universal Monsters and Westerns, <laughs> not so much. Although, I will say that the, one of the best DLCs for a video game ever is the Undead Nightmare uh, expansion for the original or, or Red Dead Redemption, I guess, too. The original yeah. Red Dead Redemption, which was a sequel right, to the Red Revolver. Revolver. Yeah. <laughs> well, Red Dead Redemption. Yes. Um, but they, it, that was like a completely new game, and it just it was, it was so much amazing. fun. And, Absolutely fun. And it fit so perfectly and was so well done. <laughs> so, Goldman and Weinstein submitted the script to Taft Entertainment Pictures executive producers Paul Monash and Keith Barish during the summer of 1982. Monash bought their script and had them do at least one rewrite, but still did not like the results. This seems to happen a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to buy this script from you. I don't like it, but I'm going to buy this script from you. Because they like the idea. They like the conceit, and they know if they buy the idea, then they can eventually fire the writers and have somebody <laughs> come in and make the conceit yeah. good. Uh, Monash remembers... The problems came largely from the fact that it was set in the turn of the century San Francisco, which affected everything. Style, dialogue, action... Goldman rejected a request by 20th Century Fox for a rewrite that asked for major alterations. Bold for a guy. This is their first script, right? Yes. This is their first script. And they're, ref- oh my, okay. He was mad when the studio wanted to update it to a contemporary setting. So guess what happened next? Pew! Studio fired them. <laughs> That's their bodies <laughs> going back to Ohio. Uh, I, never to it's be seen again. so ballsy to be like, well, you wanted the script. The hubris of youth, my friends. Yeah. You know, you gotta compromise with the studios if you want to have a career. Uh, Unless you're, you know, Scorsese or... No, you have a track record. Yeah, sure. you can't just come in. First of all, so few scripts are bought, actually. You know, it's like 12, yeah. 15 scripts. A, well, there's probably a lot more with streaming services. Back then, right, it was, every studio yeah. would only purchase a handful of scripts every year and develop even a less... You yeah, know, yeah. F- for their slate. So just the fact that you got purchased and fast track to be made into a movie, it, you've hit the lottery. <laughs> so for you to be like, well, I don't know. Well, I think mm, you're wrong. Contemporaries for losers. Yeah. I'm sick of my vision. <laughs> Take it. You know, I'll walk. I will walk. Okay. Uh, Take a walk, baby. Regardless of them being fired, they still wanted credit for the contributions, being extremely vocal about it. Yeah, well, I get that. I, I mean, mean, of course. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, but, but this was even before they brought on another writer and before there was any rewrites done. Right. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it could have been none of their words at all on, on the page. Well, it was dumb of them to die on that hill. Yes. And not – because it's also more money when you right. do the rewrite. And then it yeah. could have – then it would have been still their project. Right, but right. because they got snoots, then you know they got the boots. <laughs> if you get the snoots, you get the boots. Yep, exactly. Put that <laughs> on a T-shirt. The studio brought in screenwriter W. D. Richter, a veteran script doctor and director of the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, baby! Extensively rewrite the script. Good. That movie is brilliant. Yes, brilliant. One of the best 
sci-fi movies ever made, in my opinion. I gotta be honest, I don't think I've ever seen it. Holy shit, Adam. I am it, I am cursing because I am so appalled. We I, are I may have watched it in college, but I do not remember. We might have to boost that up and put it on the board and do a show quickly <laughs> to get you to watch it because you would love it. Well, we can, we can it's just Jeff watch Goldblum. it. Yeah. Oh, it's Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Okay. And it's okay. RoboCop, man. Peter, Peter Weller. Weller. Yeah. And it's... Does he play RoboCop in the movie? No, he's, he's Buckaroo Bombshire. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, oh, oh, he's Buckaroo Yeah. Bombshire. Okay. And you got Christopher Lloyd as like an oh, alien really? from a different I've dimension. The whole thing is Buckaroo Bonsai is this scientist. Okay, look, I can't do this because okay. I'll take All up right. the entire show. All but right. good we'll, God, I can't we'll believe it. put it on the board. Wow, confessions, baby. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm uh, just being honest. I'm hurt. I don't want to pretend I've seen something I haven't. Let's shake this off. Uh, so essentially, W.D. Richter removed all of the weird Western elements from the script. Uh, Goldman contacted Richter and suggested that he should not work on the script. Richter told him, I'm sorry the studio doesn't want to go for it with you guys, but my turning it down is not going to get you the job. They'll just hire somebody else. <laughs> Almost everything in the original script was discarded except for Lopan's story. Richter realized that... What it needed wasn't a rewrite, but a complete overhaul. It was a dreadful screenplay. This happens often when the scripts are bond and there's no intention that the original writers will stay home. Yeah, so that essentially what you said was true. They bought the idea. Yeah. And they, they had no intention of, of dealing with the two writers. Uh, Richter used Rosemary's Baby as his template. The foreground story in a familiar context, rather than San Francisco at the turn of the century, which distances the audience immediately. And just have one simple remove, the world underground. You have a much better chance of making direct contact with the audience. <laughs> he wrote his own draft in 10 weeks. Well, he had a good I mean, yeah, yeah. base point, you know. 10 it's... weeks is plenty. I mean, that's plenty. Had... Uh, Fox wanted to deny Goldman and Weinstein writing credit and eliminated their names from press releases. They wanted Richter to have sole writing credit. Eh, it's not fair. They have to at least I, put... I agree. I you agree. know, I mean, they wrote the original... Product. They should have gotten a story by credit, sure, and then and then written by Richter, you know, which is what ended up happening in March 1986. The Writers Guild of America West determined that written by credit would go to Goldman and Weinstein, uh, based on the WJ screenwriting credit system, which protects original writers. However, however, Richter did get an adaptation by credit for his work on the script. Director John Carpenter was disappointed that Richter did not get a proper screenwriting credit because of the ruling. Uh, Carpenter also made his own additions to Richter's rewrites, which included strengthening the Gracie Law role and linking her to Chinatown. Nice. Removing a few action sequences due to budgetary restrictions. Wah. Yeah. And eliminating material deemed offensive to Chinese Americans. Nice. Yes. Which is good. Carpenter is good at that. The characters in the film reminded Carpenter of uh, the characters in Bringing Up Baby is Girl Friday. These are the 1930s Howard Hawks people. The rapid fire delivery of dialogue, especially between Jack Burton and Gracie Law, is an example of what the director is referring to. Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, they yeah. had a good snappy repartee. I mean, that's part of the reason that I, I, because of this movie is why I love film noir, because I was used to that dialogue. I love yeah. that type of dialogue. It, you know, once you watch it, it's really a great mix of so many different elements mm -hmm. that really work well together, but people just weren't ready to see together. No, 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 they were not. Uh, Barish and Monash first offered the project to Carpenter in July of 1985. He had read the Goldman Weinstein script and deemed it outrageously unreadable, though it had many interesting elements. Regardless, the project fulfilled Carpenter's long-standing desire to make a martial arts film. He Curious was, yeah. about all different genres. Of course he was. You know? Yeah, he yeah, yeah. 
He was great. Uh, Carpenter had just come off directing the Oscar-nominated Starman with Jeff Bridges. I 100% forgot that he directed that. 100%. It's because it, it, it's weird. I mean, I love Starman. It's a great movie. Uh, it doesn't feel like a Carpenter movie. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I probably need to watch it again. It's been a long time. Because it's but... very, it's like a Hollywoodized Carpenter film. Yeah. Because it still has the elements yeah. of a Carpenter yeah. film. But it's more s- soft and sweet. It's basically Jeff Daniels is E.T., Jeff, or no, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges is E.T. <laughs> Not Jeff Daniels. How an alien. Hey. Yeah, Jeff Bridges is absolutely incredible in that movie. Uh, and so is Karen Allen, by yes, the way. Yes, Karen Allen's great, Let's too. Let's not forget her. Oh, no. It was a great It was a great movie. It was. Uh, after seeing footage of Starman, the executive producer of the Superman film series, Ilya Salkind, offered Carpenter the chance to direct the latest Alexander Ilya Salkin fantasy epic, Santa Claus the Movie. Boy, boy, boy. That was with Dudley Moore, right? Yeah. As the elf? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even uh, remember anything about that movie. I was, was it a flop? I don't think it did anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, though. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it did, to be honest. Um, Salkind made the offer to Carpenter during lunch at the Ritz, and while he loved the idea of differing from his normal traditions and directing a children's fantasy film, he requested 24 hours to think about the offer. The next day, he had made a list of requirements should he direct the film. They were... creative control, the right to assume scriptwriting duties, being able to co-compose the film's musical score, total editorial control, the casting of Brian Dennehy as Santa Claus, and a $5 million signing on fee. Uh, The same amount that the film star Dudley Moore was receiving. I don't think that's, uh, you know, I mean, yes. You would have gotten a really good movie. Yeah, you would have. I think to get a Carpenter movie, those demands are not... Uh, unreasonable, no. but that's unreasonable to a studio, especially yes. for an indie director. Yes, uh, Salkin immediately withdrew his offer for him to direct. Yeah, because he was a control freak too. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> of course he you was. can't yes. have two control freaks working together. Twentieth Century Fox was afraid that the production would create major overruns and hired Carpenter to direct because he could work fast. He had a proven track record doing his his indie movies. Uh, so you mean uh, Big Trouble, not? Yeah, Santa Claus. to hire Big Trouble. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, for Big Trouble. They they knew it was going to be an expensive movie, potentially a too expensive movie, and they knew that with Carpenter's track record with Halloween and doing these lower-budget movies that he'd be able to do it and do it quickly and well. You know, can I just take a quick speed sure. bump? I think I think a, maybe one of the reasons why this film and, and uh, Golden Child, I mean, Golden Child did pretty good. It did very well. But uh, but I think that the reason why this didn't do as well is because there was a lot of Japanese backlash back then, you know, from, like, yeah. car companies coming in. You yeah. remember, like, Gung Ho. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. There was Ron definitely... And there was, like, feeling, an anti-Japanese yeah. sentiment, kind of a us versus them, yeah. like a business war going yeah. on at that point. And there was a lot of worry about, oh, the Japanese are going to take over the world. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think there was, you know, I think having... The difference between this and Golden Child was that that Eddie Murphy was the star and the right. hero. Right. And right. you know, he didn't fall and you know, he was no, goofy he was, and he was your t- stereotypical But hero. he still saved the day. I mean, yeah. we had yeah. this another strong female character and she could save her own self. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in this movie, the real heroes were the Asian stars yeah, yeah and yeah. jack burton was kind of just like it's like if you took john wayne as he really was and not the actor john wayne and <laughs> right. threw him in this kind of situation right. you know he'd want to do the right thing but he didn't really you know <laughs> the guy doesn't know how to really do all the stuff that he does in the movies so i think maybe that could have been part of it is just like well 
You know, I don't think, like I said, people yeah. weren't ready, but they weren't ready because of all of this BS about. You yeah, know, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, it just came to me. I thought I'd share it. No, no, totally. I, I think it was definitely a factor. Um, and I, I but I, I still not sure why the Golden Child made so because the Golden Child made like three hundred million dollars. Well, Eddie Murphy. It was Eddie yeah, Murphy. Yeah, because That's it true. wasn't Eddie. It was still in Eddie's prime. You know, he was coming off of Beverly Hills Cop two. Yeah. I think. Was, no, 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 no. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. So I mean, he was on. He had three huge hits in a row. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places, yeah. and uh, Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, those three all made a lot of money. So it, Eddie I, Murphy yeah. could have read the phone book for that That's fourth true. movie, that is true. and it still would have broken a hundred yeah. million dollars. Yeah. And at that time, uh, Kurt Russell wasn't much of a he wasn't a big name, you know. He was, yeah. He definitely was not a big name. I mean, he'd done he'd done a couple, especially in this he kind was, of role. He was also a child actor. Yeah, he was a big Disney star. People mm-hmm. forget that he was in all these Disney yeah. movies as a little kid up until a teenager. All the like his, computer yeah. tennis shoes. And... <laughs> his first act was incredible. I, yeah. I, I people forget, yes, that he was in like fifty things before he was twenty. Yeah, and like then it was, was yeah the turn in Elvis mm-hmm. that gave him his adult career. Right. You know, and then. Consequently, he kept working with with Carpenter, with Carpenter, yeah. you know, and 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 mature, they were kind of maturing together as actor and filmmaker. It's a really cool pairing. Yeah, yeah. So, 20th Century Fox, given the fact they were worried about overruns and stuff, they only gave Carpenter ten weeks of pre-production. That's effed up. I Which mean, is, you're setting people up to fail yeah. because this is a huge that's sci-fi laden action movie, and if you want it to work out well, you gotta pre- you need the pre- preparation. A, for it to be safe. Right. You know, these heavy stunt, you know, martial arts movies are very dangerous, especially if you're using, like, wires and trampolines and all the... Yeah, all the stuff that he did end up using. So it's like, you know, and you've also got all of these special effects that have to be... Yeah, yeah. Mapped out and figured right. out. And Before have, you can yeah. shoot anything. Yeah. And it's not like today where everything's digital and you could just like chunk it in there. Throw them on and you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, like basically directing two movies. Right, right. You right. Know, and But you had to like... Everything was practical. They had to build the puppet yeah, of the eye. They yeah. had to, you know, it was like... They had to know exactly where the weird eye thing was turning mm-hmm. so that they could set the shots up that way and do all that. And, and 10 yeah. weeks is not a lot. No, and if you look at his movies, there's so much... Like, the thing is so well put together mm-hmm. and so precise. And yeah. it's still, to this day, scary. And those prosthetic and practical effects are still oh. super gross and super <laughs> unsettling and freaky. You know, it's like... The guy knows his stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows what he's doing. Uh, problems begin to arise when Carpenter learned that the next Eddie Murphy vehicle, The Golden Child, featured a similar theme and was going to be released around the same time as Big Trouble in Little China. So weird. Uh, the way he found out about this was that they actually asked him to direct The Golden Child. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but he was committed to Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, I th- believe he had already said yes to this. And then he knew the pro- problem child was going to make a ton of money. He, he made the that. right choice. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. He made the better film and, and, and you know, historically a better luck film. Yes, totally. Uh, Carpenter said, How many adventure pictures dealing with Chinese mysticism have been released by the major studios in the past 20 years? For two of them to come along at the exact same time is more than mere coincidence. Yeah, and this wouldn't be the last time something like this would happen. No, we had volcano movies. The time, yeah. We had art asteroid movies, yeah. There's always competing movies, you know. Especially these big budget like blockbuster things, but you know? weird ones like why two asteroid movies? Why two high volcano movies? Like was anybody clamoring for? Oh, they're making the volcano movie. We got to make Dante's Peak. Well, I don't I, know which everyone came. I'm through. sure that there are 
scripts passing through all the studios and they pass on Armageddon and then they suddenly somebody else picks it up and they're like, oh my God, we got to make Deep Impact now. Yeah. You know, I mean. No, I get it. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's very blatant and it <laughs> seems to, you know, one of the pictures is, is well, doomed to fail. It is, uh, yeah, I mean, they still, I mean, as far as I know, they, they or all both pictures make are doomed money. to fail because yeah. I think both of the volcano pictures did, did not do terrible. Because they were bad movies. They I mean, just weren't good movies. The, the, the Tommy Lee Jones one was I I it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Is, is that it the, called the one with the volcano in L.A.? Yeah, it comes out of. Uh, I think it's just it called comes, volcano. Is it yeah. volcano? Yeah, that's the one where it comes out of um, La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah, there yeah. was a dormant volcano underneath there of that course. nobody knew about. Yeah, but it, it's got a great cast and it's so cheesy and so much fun. And Dante's Peak is it's not as fun. It's, it's just da- Dante's Peak is the one where they try to get across. That's Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. No, and yeah, maybe. And the boat and the woman gets out and pushes him along and essentially just melts. Yeah, there's there's a melting scene in both <laughs> movies. Like, there's the guy that's walking down the subway. That, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. he melts. God, I haven't seen either of those in forever. There's a reason. <laughs> Uh, to beat the rival production at being released in theaters, Big Trouble went into production in October of 1985, so it could open in July of 1986, five months before the Golden Child's Christmas release. Again, again, the filmmaker suffers because of commerce. Because of the business. Business side. So Carpenter moved on to casting. Uh, to compete with rival production, the Golden Child's casting of box office draw Eddie Murphy, Carpenter wanted a big star of his own, and both Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson were considered, but turned it down. I'm too busy. <laughs> me, me too. I can't see either of them in this movie. <laughs> I actually could. Well, I, well Jack Nicholson I, At would, the time, yes. I think if... People forget that Clint Eastwood did a lot of comedies in the seventies. He, he did. He was Actually, more of a straight true. man, yes. but he's a really funny guy. And I think Clint Eastwood playing against type yeah. and being a bumbler would have been hilarious. It would have been awesome. It would have. <laughs> this movie would have. I been... just. It's so hard for me to see him that way because he's yeah. so serious now. Oh, yeah. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you know. Watch uh, any which way but lose. I know. I know. I know. But I know. you know, it's like. <laughs> I think that would have been hilarious. Jack Nicholson, I don't know. I mean, I just don't I, I don't see it. I don't see him. I'm sure he would have been crazy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it still would have been, yeah. But still, it's like he probably secretly knew that it was going to be Kurt Russell all along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it was to appease the studio and just like, hey, we're going to try. And honestly, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if Clint Eastwood would have gotten it and... That's, you know, yeah, exactly. I don't think I don't know if either of them would have necessarily gotten it the way Kurt Russell did, or had the shorthand that they probably already had. Yeah. So I think in terms of being able to be, having rushed through the production, right. it was probably a lot easier working with Kurt than it would have been working with either yeah. of those two guys. Agreed. Agreed. As fascinating it would have been to see both those guys, <laughs> and if it was a western, it would have been great to have. Oh Clint yeah. Eastwood. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, Russell and Carpenter had worked together on a number of films, as we said. Elvis in 1979, the made-for-TV movie, Escape from New York in 1981, The Thing in 1982. Both of those movies, man. I remember seeing Escape from New York for the first time on HBO or one of those things and just loving it. (laughs) Loving it. And it's like the opening when he's getting all of his gadgets. Yeah. His one eye, you know, and... His cool little leather outfit and his eye patch. And he was just, you know, I'm Snake Plissken. He didn't give an F about S. <laughs> it was such a cool character. Yeah. And it had Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Russell was initially not interested because he felt there were... A number of different ways to approach Jack, but I didn't know if there was a way that would be interesting enough for this movie. I, it's interesting. That's, I mean, to me, it's really interesting that he was worried about doing it right. Yeah, because it was a different kind of role. Because he's used to playing outsider characters and different characters, but to play a bumbler, yeah. you know, maybe it was... Because he's basically the lead is a second banana. Yeah, yeah. Which is very, you know, it's like it's like a bait and switch for yeah, the audience. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you think you're getting a heroic, uh, you know, Jack Burton doing all the heavy lifting, but it's really all the other guys that are taking care of business. It's it's a big ego check for the actor. Yeah, and yeah. I and I think it was cool of him to take it, and I think it was maybe he was thinking like how he could maintain his appeal to his fans. With still doing justice to this character. Right, right. After talking to Carpenter and reading the script a few more times, he gained insight into the character and liked the notion of playing... A hero has so many faults. Jack is and isn't the hero. He falls on his ass as much as he comes through. This guy's a real blowhard. He has a lot of hot air, very self-assured. A screw-up. Russell felt that... At heart, Burton thinks he's Indiana Jones, but the circumstances are always too much for him. Russell felt that the film would be a hard one to market. This is a difficult picture to sell because it's hard to explain. It's a mixture of the real history of Chinatown and San Francisco blended with the Chinese legend and lore. It's bizarre stuff. There are only a handful of non-Asian actors in the cast. I am so incredibly happy that Kurt Russell was cast in yeah, this movie. Yeah, me too. He's so good. It's one of my favorite things he's done. Yeah. Well, I, look, he's so good. I love everything. I mean, the thing... Yeah, God, yeah, I just that's one of my top five movies of all time, and my like I said, top horror movie. Oh yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is like, this is in the top twenty. You know, yeah, yeah. Young Kurt Russell is one of the greatest action stars because he has such charm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. he and and the best part is when he plays against that charm, somehow he's still even more charming. <laughs> you know, because it's like he Snake Plissken is an a hole and a nihilist and a criminal. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the dude from The Thing is just a minor, man. Yeah, He's yeah. He's not yeah. a hero. He didn't give no. an F about no. S. He just wants to get drunk and go home. <laughs> Take his share of the mining money right, or right, whatever. Right. You know, he doesn't want to have to kill all of his buddies, turn it into goopity goops. <laughs> Same with Jack Burton. He's just a truck driver. Yeah. You know, with just a wants, lot of hubris. He just wants to get his truck back. He just wants the money that his buddy owes him from poker. Yeah. And get his truck back, and it's like, you know, he's thrown into this situation, which is so great. And he's he's the best. Harrison Ford is the best guy at playing, like, beat up, you yeah. know? Yeah. Nobody does the shaky hand coming over the cliff <laughs> with blood on it than Harrison Ford pulling himself up. But no, nobody does, like, bumbling better than Russell. And I don't mean bumbling like Kevin... Uh, chubby act Kevin James Kevin James bumbling you know like Fatty Fatty Falls Down <laughs> I mean like you know believable actually his new movie Fatty Fatty Falls <laughs> yeah, Down it is produced by Adam Sandler and on Netflix <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know he's got he can play it in a way that is relatable right yeah. he's not a dummy he just yeah, doesn't yeah. know you know his his hubris is more than 
his body is capable of doing. He's like a guy who thinks he's just, like he says, he thinks he's Indiana Jones, but yeah, he's just yeah. a truck driver, you know? He's it, just a dude. He's an everyman. Some of the greatest shots is where he pulls his knife out and it flips out of his hand, you know? And he's just standing there, like, whoop, naked, you know? Or when he knocks himself out, you know, yeah. right before one of the fights. Right before a big fight. It's so great. It's just, and it, like you said, I think it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to trust in playing a part yeah. like that and, and yeah. not needing to be the strongest dude on the set. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The studio pressured Carpenter to cast a rock star in the role of Gracie Law, but Carpenter wanted Kim Cattrall. She was great in this. Oh, she's so amazing in this. Uh, The studio was not keen on the idea because at the time, Cattrall was primarily known for raunchy comedies like Porky's and Police Academy. Was Police Academy that raunchy? I mean, it was a little... The first one was R, I think. Yeah, yeah. There was a little Maybe the first one was more, and then they toned it down as it went. But there was... I mean, her character wasn't raunchy. She played a cop. yeah. She was like the female lead. But whatever. I mean, it's just like, it just shows how gross and puritanical (laughs) and icky people, the studio dudes were back then. Yeah, yeah. In 1985, Cattrall had actually had starred in three movies that were released. Uh, Turk 182 by Bob Clark, a firefighter action comedy drama. Interesting movie with uh, Timothy Hutton. Yes. Playing Turk 182. And his brother played by the late great, uh, he played Spencer for Hire. Oh, um, he was also on. I don't remember his name. Anyway, yeah. uh, I forget his name, but he was he, he like died in a or got uh, horribly hurt in some sort of fire thing. Yeah, and yeah. His brother Turk One Eighty Two, I think, was his his <laughs> bro- his his brother's co call sign. Yeah, or call sign or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he was trying to get them to do the right thing. <laughs> I haven't seen Turk 2 in a long time. I remember it's a good really, movie. really liking it. Yeah, it's but very I didn't different. Realize it was also directed by Bob Clark, which yeah. surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, from uh from uh Black Christmas. Yeah. And, and also <laughs> and uh, Christmas I'm story. Shoot your eye out. <laughs> uh City Limits. Uh, she was also in City Limits, a post-apocalyptic action movie written and directed by Aaron Lipstadt, who started his career as the assistant production manager manager on Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle, Battle Beyond, Beyond the, the Stars. Star. Yeah. Uh, City Limits was not very well received. Yeah, he, he kinda, that was kind of a lateral move, you know. <laughs> uh, she also starred in Hold Up, a French-Canadian comedy based on the novel Quick Change, which would later be adapted into the Bill Murray movie of the same name. Yeah. yeah which weird. I didn't realize it was originally a French movie. Mm-hmm. So I, yes. I've never seen that one. Yeah, I, that was back when they would rip off, uh, you know, like a French movie, a yeah, foreign yeah. film, and they wouldn't really give it any credit. Right. You know, they'd just be like, okay, (laughs) idea. It's a good idea. (laughs) It'd be like a tiny little thing. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, She was drawn to the film because of the way her character was portrayed. She said, I'm not screaming for help the whole time. I think the humor comes from the situations in my relationship with Jack Burton. I'm the brains and he's the brawn. (laughs) She was so phenomenal in this movie. Yes. And she's really... She's an actor that's so good at reacting. Yeah. And listening. And she's so watchable that a lot of... I've seen this movie 450 billion times. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, I'll just watch her, the way she's reacting to what Burton's saying or the thing that's going on. It's very kind of Preston Sturgis. It's very uh, old Hollywood. And she really got the conceit of the part and just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best things she's ever done. Oh, yeah. Agreed. 
totally agreed. Uh, they cast Dennis Dunn as Wang Chi. Uh, Carpenter had seen Dennis Dunn in Year of the Dragon in 1985 and Dennis's first feature and liked his work in that film. He met the actor twice before casting him in the role of Wang Chi, only a few days before principal photography started. Uh, the martial arts sequences were not hard for Dunn, who had dabbled in training as a kid and performed Chinese opera as an adult. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> he was drawn to the portrayal of Asian characters in the movie, as he said... I'm seeing Chinese actors getting to do stuff that American movies usually don't let them do. I've never seen this type of role for an Asian man in an American film. He was awesome. He as, was so good in this. Wang. Hey, Wang. He played off Russell so well. Yeah, but he also got that rapid fire yeah, dialogue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was, it was like, you know, watching uh, Bogey or, you know, he yeah, really got yeah. the conceit. And he was very good. And the, the young lady that played opposite him, the other, you know, the uh, his, his assistant to, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that came around. Uh, but he was just like, Hey, Jack, da, 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 da. he had the rhythm down. He had everything down. And it was like, it was, it was, he is the star of the film. Yeah. He's yeah. the one that tricks Jack into helping him <laughs> right, right, save right. his fiance or right. help get his fiance who, you know, is, an, you know, brings, you know, spoiler alert for a million year old film. He was kidnapped by Lopan, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because he needs the green eyed yeah, the virgin. Pure. I well, don't know. pure. I don't know if it's a virgin, but, um, but pure. Yeah. To keep his immortality well you know, yeah he needs to get his corporality back right uh because he was cursed by i can't remember any yes very somebody good. in the uh it was a real guy yeah. but anyway i yeah, yeah i mean yeah. it's all based on real it's real Chinese stuff lore, yeah, yeah and that's what makes it also very interesting and all the characters are, you know are are badass you know what i mean like the bad guys are badass oh, yeah yeah it's yeah. you know the good guys are, are awesome there's not any real you know cheap shots no you, you know at the asian american community no it, no no it's, definitely not it's it's very just it's just such a cool adventure movie that just starts and moves and goes yeah yeah yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, Jackie Chan was at one point considered for the role of Wang Chi, but decided after the box office disasters of The Big Brawl and The Protector, he should put more time and effort into his career in Hong Kong's film industry with Police Story instead. Which, great choice, because Police Story is an amazing film. An absolutely amazing And film. I don't think he would have, he wouldn't have been able to pull off that, you know, rapid fire. I agree. Film noir kind of deal. Just because, you know, his... English isn't his first language, right? You know, right, right. you know, it's like he's a great actor, and I love him. I love the, uh, I hate the director, but I love the uh, Rush Hour, the first two Rush Hour films. <laughs> I love it. I I was the, my favorite, absolute favorite Jackie Chan movie is Rumble in the Bronx. Oh yeah, absolutely amazing. It's just like an hour and a half movie. brawl, just fun. Just yeah, so much fun. It is super fun, and that was like one of his first American movies. Yeah, the first ones that kind of kind of put him on the map here. Uh, uh, James Hong was cast as David Lopan. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic in the movie. If you want to know more about James Hong, please refer back to our Golden Child episode. We go much deeper into James Hong's yeah. past. Yeah, and again, just recently got a star on the Hollywood Walk so of Fame. Uh, and is just as spry. Like I he said, is. saw him coming out He's... Jimmy Kimmel dancing and fighting <laughs> the dragon. The guy is just going strong. And hopefully we have another, you know, 10 or 20, 30 projects I with him. I hope so. Because it's going to be weird. He has been a constant in everything yeah. from like, you know, Sanford and Son 
to ER to yeah. this movie to anything. The guy has over 700 credits. Yeah, huge. Yeah, he's, you know, he's and, fantastic. And all voices of some of your favorite cartoon characters. I'm like Kung Fu Panda. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the guy is just a treasure. He is. He definitely is. Uh, Victor Wong was cast as Egg Shin, the the mystic. Come on, Egg. <laughs> Give it to me straight. Victor Wong was also absolutely fantastic. Again, if you want to know more about, please reference reference back to our Golden Child episode. Yeah, these guys got. This was a good year for them. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. A couple of some really great parts, like both of these four really great parts. Yeah. Yeah. And and very well, uh, the Victor Wong's parts were a little bit similar. He wasn't as gross as Egg. He was a little bit more yeah. like heroic which was very cool he was kind of you know but uh but for james hong man oh, he definitely got he to chewed that the scenery opposite. man yeah. he was oh, so good he was so good in this movie but even but i feel like i feel like the victor the egg shen character in this movie was more defined oh yeah in golden child yeah like he, he you could tell that there was like backstory and there was they didn't stuff, need to yeah. resort to boogers yeah. and yeah. you know farts he's so f- fantastic in this movie yeah Oh, he's everybody. I mean, it's just such a fun movie. It's like every moment is great and it leads into the next moment so perfectly. It's like, yeah. it's, it is to me a perfect movie. Nothing is wasted in this movie. No, it not all at all. It has meaning and, and, and relates to other parts of the movie. It moves really fast and it moves on a very logical path yeah. for something that's illogical. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you don't question it, it just moves because we are brought in. The beauty of it is. The Russell, I was going to say Russell Crowe, the Kurt Russell go Jack Burton um, is is a is the audience surrogate. So yeah, yeah. he is, you know, he knows Wang, but he doesn't know the world. So right, it's like, right. what's going on here, Wang? You know, yeah, then it's like he's he asking for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is it? No, I feel great. <laughs> and it was like uh, <laughs> the, the elevator scene, so fantastic, uh, so much fun. It's situational humor. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to resort to gross gags or booger no. jokes or fart jokes Because or the characters are so well-defined. And the writing is very strong. You, you throw them in the situation, and it will write itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I, yes, but, but it's like, but yeah. the writing, the dialogue is what makes this yeah. film work. Because it's snappy. It's funny. It's unexpected. Right. It, it adds to the feeling of this movie. You know, it's like we're watching an old Sam Spade movie. But he goes to the Chinatown underground, you know. It's right, like, right. It's like H.P. Lovecraft meets, you know, Sam Spade. So it's it's got this really cool, unexpected and different mashup that people yeah. haven't seen before. Again, leading to poor box office because it's like I don't get it. It's really interesting because the Golden Child wanted to be that, mm-hmm. and they totally wrote all that out. Right. Uh, maybe to the detriment of big trouble <laughs> but i but it you know it was it was interesting because it re- again reading the golden child the play, it's like reading a raymond chandler yeah. novel it's well, not yeah, i could this these it, they could have melded those two movies into a movie yeah yeah you know, into true. one movie because basically the golden child is the green-eyed girl you know it's the same yeah. thing yeah you know it's capturing something that's needed by the bad guy to you know either right Enter this dimension or create their take immortality. Over, or, take over the world. It's or all about yeah. taking over the world, baby. At the end of the day. <laughs> June every, Doom. End of the day, they all want to take over the world or destroy the world or, you know, yeah. it ain't yeah. good for the world. <laughs> they cast uh, Kate Burton as Margot Litzenberger, the little uh, journalist helper. She's awesome. Uh, Kate is actually the daughter of Richard Burton and his first wife, Sybil Christopher. 
Uh, Kate has been active in theater for most of her life. She'd only appeared in a small number of TV parts before making her feature film debut in Big Trouble in Little China. Since, she's been nominated for three Primetime Emmy Awards and three Tony Awards. It must have been kind of tough with Richard Burton as your father. Kate, do the monologue, Kate. You you want to stop drinking for just five seconds, okay? (laughs) It's my graduation. Do the monologue, Kate. The one we worked on. Do it. I, that was when I was eight years old. I'm graduating from high school today. Do, do you think his one note was always to drink more <laughs> before Louder. he started acting? Use more intensity. Uh, Donald Lee was cast as Eddie Lee. Uh, Eddie Lee was the... Uh, Allied to uh, L-E-E. Yeah. Lee Lee. Right. <laughs> he was the uh, Wang Cheese little buddy. Not little buddy, but his buddy. <laughs> he's Sorry, he's bigger than him. He was his big yeah. buddy. Uh, he was great in this movie. Oh, he's too. hilarious. Uh, this was Donald's feature debut. Uh, he was also in One Crazy Summer, which was released just a couple months later, or a month yeah. later, in August 1986. That one's coming up in our, mm-hmm. our One Crazy Cusack, or yeah. Three Crazy Cusacks. Three Crazy Cusacks. Um, what is that's, that? That's in August, I think. Yeah. Nope. Nope. In That's September. September. Ended up the summer with some yeah. cuesies. Some cuesies, yeah. Directed, obviously, by Savage Steve Holland, who is a fascinating man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he would appear in a number of TV shows and movies throughout the years, as well as many stage plays. Uh, Carter Wong was cast as Thunder, the elemental master who can expand his body. And died in the weirdest way. Yeah, didn't uh, he just explode He just exploded. He, he got popped. really It was so gross. He got upset about his boss dying and so then he just blew himself up. Uh, As one does. <laughs> Wong appeared in over 60 films before Big Trouble in Little China, uh, mostly martial arts films. As an actor, he contributed to more than 70 martial arts films throughout his career. He also worked as a stuntman in films and was the fighting instructor for the movie Rambo 3. Uh, you in uh, Big Trouble in Little China? You do this every time, and I literally have no idea what you say every time. Do you have subtitles? Yes, we have subtitles on a podcast. He lost his legs! At the age of 75, Carter Wong is still active in martial arts. Nice. Yeah. Peter Kwong is Rain, an elemental master and expert martial artist with a sword. He's appeared in over 100 films and TV shows, including... The Golden Child. Uh, He studied Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, which has allowed him to do many of his own stunts and eventually branch off to more meditative disciplines, such as Tai Chi Chuan and Shi Kung Meditation. He teaches Tai Chi Chuan. I'd like to learn that from him. I'm sure he's probably... I don't know if he's doing it here in L.A. Sensei, or... can I ask you about him? <laughs> hey, Sensei. He so, just kicked me out did, in did you, three minutes. Did you make your own rain, or do they have a rain machine? Just get on the <laughs> mat, you nudge. <laughs> James Pax cast as Lightning, the elemental master who can shoot bolts of lightning out of his hands. Uh, Pax made his feature f- debut in Invasion USA, starring Chuck Norris. Yeah, your favorite. No, your well, favorite. Firewalker was my favorite. Which Invasion USA, is that the Red Dawn ripoff? Yes. Nice. Yes. Still Chucky, 100%. just chasing blockbusters his entire career until he got Walker, Texas. Stranger? Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, he was Asylum Pictures before Asylum Pictures was. He would just find a movie and yeah. steal the idea exactly. and then make it himself. Let's do another movie. Let's, hey, I just saw a movie in the, in the, uh, in the theater the, called Red Dawn. <laughs> I think we should make it. <laughs> What do you mean? I think we should make it. But you just saw it. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, with me, and we'll call it something different. 
But it'll be the same movie. Except they'll play all the kids. <laughs> we'll call it Invasion USA. And I'll use some of my punchy and uh, kick it. <laughs> uh, Peter Kwong, no, not Peter Kwong. James Pax uh, had appeared in guest parts in some TV shows before before being cast in Big Trouble in Little China, such as Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Noise. T.J. Hooker. Yes, we And our MacGyver. Friend. Yeah. Bill Shatner. Yes. And MacGyver. Uh, nice. <clears throat> he's since moved back to Asia to work on Chinese and Japanese TV and film. Uh, Susie Pai was cast as Miao Yin, Wang's fiance, who was kidnapped by Lo Pan. Uh, Susie Pai was actually a Pet House Pet of the Month in 1981. What? Which I did not know Wait. literally until yesterday. <laughs> well, good for she, her. She appeared on Pet House a couple of times uh, and actually appeared in a Playboy video as well. Uh, she appeared in several feature films and television shows, including the Burt Reynolds action film Sharky's Machine in 1981. Oh, Sharky's Machine, man. They cut off his fingers. No. That's ah, awesome. Sure, is machine. Is that what the machine does? Does it cut off fingers? No. <laughs> yes, he was working in a he was working in a dowel a doweling plant, yeah. you know, where they made dowels and he got his hand caught in the machine. It was not set at the Sharky's Mexican restaurant? No. It was, it, well, it was making the ovens for the Sharky's. Oh, okay, that and makes little sense. Dowels, dowels for, for the ovens for the Sharky's. Ovens for the Sharky's. For Sharky's machines. Right. It's actually a really good movie. It's uh, it's I've pretty never, gritty. I've never seen it. He's I like will a, have to watch he's it. He's like a PI or something. It was oh, like really? one of his first kind of gritty. You know, it was oh, it was, oh. it was on the you know yeah. It was when he it was a, it was like his it was good. Was... I liked it. Okay, all right. Uh, she also appeared in First Blood in nineteen eighty two. good. Welcome back, slide to the podcast. Good to be back. Yeah, he said that's a good thing. She's really good. Uh, she, she was a girl. She was really good. Oh, she was really good. Yeah. Okay, there yeah, we go. Good, okay. Man. Uh, unfortunately, her scene in First Blood was deleted, but it is available uh, on the Ultimate Edition DVD. Yeah. She wasn't really that good, so we had to cut Actually, I'm pretty sure Sly probably thought it was good because I'm pretty sure she appeared naked in the scene. Uh, I'm a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after all the casting, they moved into production. Uh, Kurt Russell lifted weights and began running two months before production began to prepare for the physical demands of principal photography. Right, when he looked really good, but he, you know, that's what was cool. He probably yeah. just in his garage, you know, <laughs> lifted weights on his own bench and then, probably. you know, ran a couple of miles. Because he was in shape, but it wasn't like he was, you know, he wasn't like superhero ripped like yeah. these guys today, which is Not ridiculous. like Kumail Nanjiani. Ugh. And just stop getting so ripped, guys. Just stop it. Let's let's put an end to this. So, we don't need it. And what's the point of getting ripped? Two movies Kumail Nanjiani's in that he's ripped in, and they never show him with any muscles. No, no. <laughs> he's wearing so much baggy clothes that no. it makes no sense. He's his apparently his wife likes it, so okay. he's gonna oh, well, good for her. Going on. That's so good. I'm sure. Keep the wife happy. Apparently, that's I don't what know. married I mean, people do. I guess if somebody paid me to work out, I'd probably work out. Yeah, hundred percent. But I just you know. A lot of guys are getting body dysmorphia now because yeah. of these, you they know. Have to be. I mean, good on us. I guess it's time to, you know, make us feel like shit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for looking like slobs. But it's just unrealistic. And not every, you know, it's like what I hate. Like, I get it if you're Thor or if you're Superman or whatever. Yeah. But if you're, like, playing a scientist, you know, you don't need an eight-pack no. and no. veins on top of your veins. No. Chris Pratt. No. Um, or any of these guys. Well, it's just like... It's not... I mean, in the movie that he got ripped for, there were characters in there that did not get ripped and didn't need to. There was I'm no a, reason for it. I'm, an, I'm a math teacher with incredibly 
defined abs. I'm also Mr. Olympia. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys. Right. Not everybody has to be, yeah. you know, V, the V. Give us all guys a break. Please. Uh, in addition, Carpenter and his cast and crew did a week's rehearsals that mainly involved choreographing the martial arts scenes. Which I hope they spent more than a week doing it, <laughs> but it appears not. Well, I mean, they used a lot of tricks and stuff. It was, you know, there weren't... <laughs> The fight scenes aren't the Matrix. No, no. But they are really fun for the time. Yeah. And they they seem realistic, you know. It's they're like, shot really well, mm -hmm. and they're fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although the early exterior establishing scenes were filmed in location on, uh, on location in Chinatown, most of the film was shot on sets built in the Fox lot in Los Angeles. Production designer John Lloyd designed the elaborate underground sets and recreated Chinatown with three-story buildings, roads, streetlights, sewers, and et al., this was necessary for the staging of complicated special effects and kung fu fight sequences that would have been very hard to do on location. This forced Carpenter to shoot the film in 15 weeks with a $25 million budget. Damn. Yeah, that's impressive. For the film's mini fight scenes, Carpenter worked with martial arts choreographer James Liu, who planned out every move in advance. Says Carpenter, I used every cheap gag, trampolines, wires, reverse movements, and upside-down sets. It was much like photographing a dance. It is. There's so much. I, my favorite is when it's so obvious they're jumping off a trampoline. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. $25 <laughs> million was pretty big budget back then, though. I yeah. mean, it, yeah. it was, you know, we weren't up to, like, the $100 million budget. No, no, We were no, up no, to no. 50 I think. was 50 to 60 was, like. I want to say, I think Superman had, like, a 30 to $35 million budget. Yeah. Like, there, that was in 78. So, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yes. It was still a, a big budget, yes. Uh, Carpenter envisioned the film as an inverse of traditional scenarios and action films with a Caucasian protagonist helped by a minority sidekick. Yeah, he basically wanted to make, like, he basically wanted to, to flip it on its side. Yeah. You know, it's like Robin was the real star and Batman was kind of a bumbler. And it's just, it's it's ingenious. And it's, a, yeah. the thing about Carpenter that I love is he zigs when everybody else zags and like i said people don't get it at the time but they eventually yeah. get it you know because he's doing something for himself and it takes people to catch on yeah to somebody who's just doing it because he thinks it's the right thing and the good thing for the for the project for the story right right carpenter said the film is really about a sidekick who thinks he is a leading man according to carpenter the studio didn't get it and made him write something that would explain the character of jack burton carpenter came up with the prologue scene between egg shen and the lawyer to address the studio's concern what scene what are you talking uh at the very beginning i think when they talk about uh i don't remember it's been a while because but... it opens with the poker game right and then yeah and then he you know there it's dawn's coming up there's and something at the beginning when he's there and he's on the phone and he's talking about I think it's when he's trying to get his get his truck back. Yeah. I think there's some sequence in that where they explain more about Jack Burton. Which is fine, but it's like you don't It's this not This is where studios are yeah. morons. Because they're morons, they think everybody else is morons and they're like, Well, I don't know if I get that. Maybe you should put something like with Blade Runner, I don't know. Maybe we should put in a really stupid voiceover that explains <laughs> everything ad nauseum. Well, I don't get it, so nobody else gets exactly. it. Exactly. Ugh. Uh, Carpenter was not entirely satisfied with Boss Film Studios, the company in charge of the film's visual effects. Boss Film Studios was founded by Richard Edlund, a former ILM employee. Genius. Who had worked on the Star Wars trilogy and Raiders of the Lost Ark. According to Carpenter, they took 
on more projects than they could handle, and some effects for the film had to be cut down. At the time, they were also working on Legal Eagles, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and Solar Babies. Oh, not very good movies. No. Uh, Edlin countered, saying that there were no difficulties with the company difficulties with the company's workload, and that Big Trouble was probably its favorite film at the time, with the exception of Ghostbusters. Yeah, nice. Which they had worked on as well. The effects, effects budget for the film was just under $2 million, which Edlin said was barely adequate. Yeah, 100%. I mean, considering a $25 million budget, and yeah. they spent $2 million on the effects? One of the more difficult effects was the floating eyeball, the spy for Lopan. It was powered by several puppeteers and dozens of cables to control its facial expressions. That was ripped right the F off from Dungeons & Dragons, by the way. <laughs> Somebody saw that on the Book of Monsters cover at the bookstore and was like, hey, yeah. let's make a big eyeball. It was shot with a special matting system specially designed for the giant floating eyeball. It was a cool effect. I liked it. Was. It. it creeped me out. It was. It totally was. It was great. Uh, Carpenter wrote the score for the movie like he does for most of his films. Of course he did. Yeah. With the soundtrack, Carpenter wanted to avoid the usual cliches as he found that... Other scores for American movies about Chinese characters are basically rinky-tink, chop suey music. I didn't want that for big trouble. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super offensive, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, okay, just pandering. Uh, Carpenter yeah. instead opted for his trademark synthesizer score mixed with rock and roll music. <laughs> so good. I love those. <laughs> Carpenter was actually nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Music for Big Trouble in Little China. As he should be. I love his synth scores. So the movie opened in 1,053 theaters on July 2nd, 1986. Got my money. And grossed $2.7 million in its opening weekend and went on to gross $11.1 million in North America, well below its estimated budget of between 19 to $25 million. Uh, the film was released in the midst of the hype for James Cameron's blockbuster Aliens, which was released 16 days after, which may have impacted the excitement for the film. Um, yeah, that was a biggie. I remember. It probably just overshadowed it, I imagine. Yeah. It, well, it's weird. I mean, it's not like people were like, well, I'm saving my money for two weeks because I could yeah, only see one movie this no, summer. No, I know. But, I, but I, think, I think everybody was talking about Aliens and then Big Trouble just kind of went under the radar. Well, it, it was a weird movie without any big stars. Yeah. You know, that, by a direct, an indie director that was a hard sell, you know? The marketing was weird on that movie. Yeah. Like, the, the commercials did not do it justice. Right. You know, right. it did. It, it, it wasn't did, like... It didn't, it didn't have the tone. Mm -mm. Yeah. It, it was more like going for horror. Or yeah. It was more... I yeah. don't... The studio did not know how to market this movie. No, no. Critics lambasted the movie, giving high marks to Kurt Russell, but generally disliking the film. I don't get it. I know. I agree. I agree. It was a fun movie. After the commercial and critical failure of the film, Carpenter became very disillusioned with Hollywood and went back to his independent filmmaker roots. Good for him. He said in an interview, The experience of Big Trouble was the reason why I stopped making movies for the Hollywood studios. I won't work for them again. I think Big Trouble is a wonderful film, and I'm proud of it, but the reception it received and the reasons for that reception were too much for me to deal with. I'm too old for that sort of bullshit. He did eventually go back to working for Hollywood. Well, of course. Um, there's money but... there. <laughs> you know, it's, of course. But I get it. I mean, he put a lot of time and, and effort, and he loved this movie. He's a filmmaker. Yeah. He's not a movie maker. There are movie makers that are just 
perfect for all of that collaboration, making yeah. a big old stew studio film, which everybody gets to glop their gloop in, and somehow it works right. okay. Right, like right. Dominion or what you know, with the Jurassic Park movie yeah. out. Jurassic it's World. crap. It's going to make a billion dollars. Right. Well, he's like Scorsese. He's like any of these guys, but his genre of choice isn't the prestige genre. Right. You know, he likes right. horror and sci-fi and different kinds of interesting yeah. stories that most people don't tell. And I think he kind of gets the short shrift in in terms of, you know, American treasure filmmakers. Oh, yeah, have. yeah. And he's a real auteur, you know? And, and it's hard for an auteur to work, and, and not a, like an a-hole auteur, right, but a guy right. that just has a vision. There's a difference, you know? Yeah, yeah, he knows what he wants. It's not insecurity driving him. Right. It's the vision of what he wants to see on film right, right? he's painting right. his painting and you know the yeah. paints are his paints right right since the movie has since then the movie has had a resurgence in popularity from its home video sales and being on pay channels constantly yeah. uh, which is how i first saw it I hey man i got I it on blu-ray i got it on dvd oh yeah oh yeah i think i even had it on laser disc nice uh, a tie-in side-scrolling beat-em-up video game of the same name was published in 1986 by Electric Dreams Software for the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64, and the Amstrad CPC. Yeah, nothing like that Amstrad CPC, man. <laughs> Everybody had that. I had to look it up because I'd never seen this, and man, it looked bad. I don't remember this. Uh, the player controls one of the three main protagonists and may switch between them during play. They literally all travel together, all three, like going on to the side. I just, wasn't there an eye, too, that yeah, you had to yeah, punch? Yeah. I think I did play this on somebody's Commodore. Uh, the characters progress from right to left, an unusual orientation in the genre of game, rather than left to right. It's disorienting. Yeah, fighting oncoming enemies. Initially, the three characters fight unarmed, but each has a weapon of choice that can be collected. Jack Burton can use a gun with limited ammunition. Wang Chi can wield swords which eventually break the third character egg shen initially fires weak magic bolts which improve with range and strength when he finds a magic potion critical reception was mixed <laughs> there was an nes version of the game released in 2016 which was a hack of the game bad dudes with new skins yeah bad dudes the gameplay looks really fun. You could actually buy an NES cartridge version of it through Etsy, but it's not available anymore. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it is available to download. So if you have an emulator and you want to buy the, you can download the ROM and play nice. the, ver the NES version of this game. Uh, all of it totally illegal because it was not licensed at all. Well, then don't do it, people. <laughs> don't do it. Yes, we're not saying you should do no, it. No, we don't condone illegal yeah. activities. No. Uh, there was a board game released a few years ago, but copies of it go for $595 now. Oh. Yeah, I, it had a ton of cool little figurines based on the characters that you would use to move around. Nice. Like, it was really rad. Uh, it's too bad. Upper Deck also released a card game version that is still available for the more reasonable price of $45. Yeah. In June 2015, The Wrap reported that Dwayne Johnson was developing a remake to star as Jack Burton and produce with his Seven Bucks Productions film studio. <laughs> Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz were hired as screenwriters. They had worked on the TV shows Andromeda, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Fringe, as well as the movie Thor and X-Men First Class. Uh, Ugh, X-Men First Class. There's a mixed bag of stuff. Fringe is basically the only yeah. thing that I knew. I, th I liked the first Thor movie. I thought oh, it was good. Eh. Andromeda was good. Thor was, wasn't was well-written, the first Thor movie, I don't think. It was fine. I mean, it was, it was passable. It was bland. Yeah. You know? It was bland. Okay. They didn't know what to do with Thor, uh, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Until they Taika got a hold of him. And That's true. Because, yeah, the second movie was not great. It was just like, he was like Superman. Yeah. It's just dated. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, in, an, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Johnson expressed interest in having Carpenter involved in the film. Carpenter, Carpenter responded, stating, It's very early in the process. I haven't spoken to Dwayne Johnson about any of this. I'm ambivalent about a remake. By August 27, 2018, Seven Bucks Productions president Hiram Garcia clarified that the film will be a sequel and a continuation of the previous film. Okay. Okay. Yes. Then I'm okay with that. I am yeah. okay with that. I am okay with you making sequels. I don't love it, but I'm yeah, okay with yeah. it. If you bring back Jack Burton, you yeah. know, and if you... I just... I also don't think, and I'm sorry, I don't think Dwayne Johnson needs to be in every damn thing that there is, and I don't <laughs> think he fits into no, this he, world. he is not He's too Jack goofy. He's he doesn't have Burton. the gravitas. And, and I know that sounds stupid for this movie, but you have to be able to play a certain seriousness yeah. to the absurdity that I, I just feel like in these types of movies, he's always winking at the camera, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't Agreed. seem like Agreed. he commits. I mean, he's playing Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's always Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and Jack Burton was a character. It wasn't right. Kurt Russell, right. you know what I mean? No, no, totally. Uh, they were very clear, making sure that the new film acknowledged they, the creative minds behind the new film acknowledged they have no intention of replacing Kurt Russell by recasting Johnson as Jack Burton, but will make a follow-up to the movie to the original. I think what happened is that they originally were going to, yeah. and then the backlash was like, yeah, don't do F that. you. Yeah, yeah of so course. They're like, oh, no, we'll just make it a sequel. Yeah, which is smarter anyway, yeah. because then you have leeway to do other stuff. You, Remakes of beloved movies are a fool's errand. Yeah. There is no win on that. Even yeah. if it's decent, like the, you know, uh, Fright Night. You know, they, yeah. they remade that with Anton Yelchin and, and uh, you know, the Penguin from the Batman movie. What's that kid's name? De oh. Uh... Kurt, uh, Colin Farrell. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, it was fine, but it... it it was nowhere near as good as the first one, right. and it didn't need to be made. No, They're all no. pointless movies. They're just cash grabs, and they don't work, especially horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's unknown if they'll be drawing material from the comic book series that continued the story from the film. Uh, they actually had a, a long-running comic series that continued right where the movie stopped. Ooh, I'd um, like to see that. Yeah, I think it was done in the 90s, uh, if I remember correctly. I'd still like to see it. Uh, as of August 2021, Johnson is still confident that the sequel will happen. Almost a year ago. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, but I mean, I the same thing with Dwayne Johnson in Black Adam, this movie that I heard about like 10 years ago, and I was like, well, it's never going to get made, and it's I just saw out a now, trailer yeah. for it a couple days ago. Ah, I have uh, Dwayne Johnson fatigue. Yeah, I agree. I just, you know, he's, he's, he's great at what he does. He's a great entertainer. He he knows I, I give him props because he's a movie star. Yeah. And there aren't many movie stars left. And he is 100% a movie star. It's just, for me, I'm just not a big fan of the movie star. You know, where it's like, yeah. It, yeah. I'm not, that's not true. It's just where the star, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, Sylvester Stallone. All these guys, they're great and I love them. But they're always themselves. There's never, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not, you're not going to see it's rare for Arnold them. playing, yeah. you know, a, a phys nuclear physicist unless that he rips his shirt off and has to save the world. You know, right. it's like, right. you know, which maybe is unfair to these actors, but. He did, I mean, he did, uh, Schwarzenegger, his def in his defense, did do some of that. I mean, he had some of that in his career, like twins and stuff like that. But, but still, it's him. Yeah, yes. 
it's, a, it's still sounding exactly yeah. like him, well. and there's no difference between character. It's always yeah. this. Yeah. And the same delivery. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and The Rock is definitely that, for sure. And I and it's entertaining, and I like them. Yeah. And and the world loves them. I mean, I, who the hell cares what this moron has right, to say right. about it? You know, I'm, he's not going to lose sleep, you know, of my assessment. It's just he he's good at what he does, but this movie needs an actor, not a movie star. If you're right. going to redo it, you got to make it with the same kind of – you know, indie underbelly tones. Yeah. If you're going to make it work. Yeah, agreed. Then it's just going to, you know, or it's just going to be something flashy and, you know, another unfor- another forgettable Netflix reimagining yeah. bloopity bloops. Well, that's it. That's all I got. So, uh... Well, that was enough, man. Good that job. Great. That was a lot of fun. Um, I love this movie. Such a great movie. I love this movie. Uh, the the Carpenter... I like... I, I call the Carpenter Trilogy... The is the thing this and Escape from New York. I know they did Escape from L.A. It was, it, it uh, was inferior. Okay. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't great. But those three movies are three of the best genre movies of all time. Yeah. And uh, do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen any of those movies, watch them all. Make a night of it. Yeah. I, I would say do a double feature with Escape from New York and Big Trouble in China. And, Ooh. And then... The next day, do a triple feature with Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. Oh, yeah. The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. But that's just like... And you will want to slash your wrist by the end of it. Also, you're going on a a quality downslide, man. You're starting at the top and skiing your way down to the bottom because... I love Prince of Darkness. I think that's a fantastic movie. Prince of Darkness is an underrated... It movie. is. It has one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Okay, uh, yeah, it's a weird, weird movie. Yeah. It's very challenging and different. Yeah. In the Mouth of Badness is just kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. Uh, Scott Bakula. Yeah. It's a it's a Clive Barker adaptation, and his isn't, stuff is difficult to adapt. Isn't uh, who's uh. God, we just the Jurassic Park guy isn't he in that in, in the mouth of madness mm-hmm. too? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's Clive Barker and Sam Neill. Sam Neill, and I think it, yeah. Sam Neill plays an author or something. Yes, that's right. And yes, at the yes, end, he's got yes. like words all over him, and he's gone mad because he's been yeah. into the mouth of madness, Adam. Yeah, into the mouth. I, of I've been getting into a lot of cosmic horror recently. Yeah. so like this is just it's just on my brain. Uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, a little uh, for the stepdad. Stepdad's show. Thanks for tuning in to number seventy. Yeah. We'll see you next time. I was already a huge fan of the the, the dudes. They are, you know, never got. <laughs> got to make it at least somewhat understandable. Like, okay. Okay. How many adventure pictures dealing with Chinese? <laughs> wow. Woo. It's been a while since we've been doing shows. <clears throat> We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Perfect Strangers, already in progress. <laughs>